the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 24 of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost, joined as ever by Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. It's a bit of a miracle that my Vodacom Fiber is working. Anyone who follows me on Twitter will have seen me lamenting the state of play. Uh, Vodacom share price to date this year is up about 1% and MTN is up about 65%. So of all the valuation metrics, perhaps consumer experience is one that really comes to mind here. But Mo, it does seem to actually be working which is uh, slightly amazing and and just as well. So thank you as ever for uh, doing this with me. Ghost, it's always a, it's always a pleasure co-hosting the show with you. I'm glad we could get the tech out of the way. If it's not uh, if it's not Vodacom, it's Eskom. So let's hope that uh, we get this underway and the lights don't go out mid-recording. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't jinx it, please. <laughs> Between fiber and electricity and all these kind of basic utilities, actually, which is exactly what we are not talking about on tonight's show. We're talking about some other rather interesting acronyms that stay away from the more the more mundane services. And one of them is FAN, which our listeners will no doubt be familiar with. And the other one is BEACH, which I think is something that you've made a lot of people more familiar with, with a recent article you wrote. And, and really, these acronyms are just snappy ways to describe a theme. So in the case of the FANs, it was actually uh, put together by Jim Cramer all those years ago. And, and basically, it was just to talk about the high growth tech stocks. And Beach is, is all about travel, isn't it? And, and a world that will at some point reopen to normality. Yeah, I think I, I can't take credit for Beach. I saw it a little while ago on, uh, on, online. And it's just, it's one of those that hasn't really caught on. Somebody because Fang, you're talking about specific stocks. You're talking about Facebook and Apple and so forth. But with Beach, you're talking about sectors. So for example, the B stands for, for bookings. So like booking.com, Expedia. And the E stands for entertainment. Uh, and that's, you know, and these are all sectors that when the world hopefully goes back to normal, we should see some rebounding, right? So entertainment would not just be Disney because they have a streaming platform, but it's actually Disney because they have the parks. It would be stocks like Six Flags, for example, or Live Entertainment, Pen Gaming. Uh, under eight airlines, and we know there's an old joke that says, you know, how do you become a millionaire? out of the airline business. It's start off by being a billionaire. So so airlines have been very, very hard hit. Um, probably the one sector of the beach stocks that hasn't really rebounded to levels uh, pre-pandemic. You know, you're still sitting at, at about 40, 30, 40% of pre-pandemic levels. And that's airlines. C stands for both cruises. Uh, we don't want to go on a cruise. We all remember what happened with, with COVID early on and, and how all the people on those cruise ships uh, got sick. And Titanic so C- many years before that. Yeah, yeah, many, many years. Can't deny the trend, yeah. <laughs> Long term. Um, uh, C also stands for casinos. Uh, and, you know, gaming, casinos, a bit of a theme coming through there. But bearing in mind that casinos also have, 
you know, real estate. So that leads into the next one, which is hotels. H is for hotels. And that's where the BEACH acronym comes from. Uh, really on, I guess, a, a thesis or an outlook that slowly as the world starts to get a handle, as in certainly in North America, as the third wave kind of comes and goes and as vaccinations get rolled out, there's a lot of talk around vaccine passports for traveling, about Europe opening up to travelers from specific geographies. It, it ties into a lot of stuff, Ghost, that I wrote about on, on my blog, monos.com, where I said that the vaccine rollout globally and the, the post-pandemic recovery is really shaping up to be a story of haves and have-nots. And you're starting to see that play through. So as an overarching theme, beach stocks, because it's Northern Hemisphere, some of it's coming. But even within that, you've got to be quite picky to say not all geographies are necessarily going to perform in the same way. Yeah, and what's interesting is that within those within that acronym, I suppose, you've got companies that are, are higher in terms of fixed assets and capex, so hotel groups. But then operating within a similar vertical, which is, you know, people need somewhere to stay, you've got companies that are much lower on, on fixed assets. And these are the sort of platform businesses that have become a feature of the last 15 years or so that the smartphone has been with us. And that's stuff like Airbnb, uh, TripAdvisor, which I thankfully bought um, pretty much, a, you know, in a deep hole in the middle of last year, as I figured that, you know, the, the platform company would be one of the first ones to recover. And that's that's been a nice play for me. So it's just interesting to see those themes coming through almost in any one of those verticals, you'll probably be able to find a more platform style business and then the really you know high capex high fixed assets sometimes low return on assets but especially high risk stuff yeah i mean it, it depends on your investment flavor so if, if for example you're a through the cycle investor maybe you like the fixed assets component so that would mean you'd look at hotel groups for example rather as a real estate play so you'd look at a metric like a price to book ratio rather than just near-term earnings they've all been hammered i mean down in south africa you've got a handful of these stocks so i think there's toho there's city lodge there's, there's sun international they kind of casino groups hotel groups but there's there's not a big selection out in global markets, in US markets, UK and so forth, there's a big selection of these. But going back to your point on, on platform businesses, I mean, something like Airbnb is, is actually a great example because they weren't listed when the pandemic hit. You know, they only listed in the latter part of last year. We saw that big push up to, to levels of around two, two, 20 more or less dollars. And now it's back down. And it's down to around $160, $170. So if you believe in the platform businesses, you know, something like an Airbnb reasonably healthy balance sheet simply because they've just come to market. So there's a fair amount of cash sitting on the balance sheet and could lean quite nicely into, like you say, the tech space, the fang play that we've been, been speaking about. Because some of the some of the businesses there that we've spoken about, uh, one that's certainly not your favorite, I know, Ghost, but it's, it's, it's Netflix. And maybe you can compare an Airbnb to a Netflix because they're both kind of platform businesses, but a Netflix has to have that much more capex than most other platform businesses and that is why you've got to start looking what are the pressure points yes it's a are your pressure points hard fixed assets are your pressure points the fact that you're a platform but you need to pay a heck of a lot of money in order to generate the volume that comes through your platform and those are nuances that you've you've got to look you've got to look at i mean i, I certainly hope if we if we segue from beach stocks into fang stocks because like i say globally some economies are opening up some people are going to go to hotels and go on holiday others are not going to be as fast and so maybe defensive plays like the Netflix that's done really well out of a pandemic might actually work out. I know you don't like Netflix. I just hope Netflix is not your next Tesla and that you keep slamming that stock. Hey? I know. I know. Although Tesla has been very sideways this year. So that that's actually that's actually worked out okay. I just said I missed out on it last year, but I'm glad I avoided it this year. And it's actually a similar story with Netflix. It hasn't had a great year so far. But 
Yeah, the problem with Netflix is just the capex. So by the time it gets to free cash flow to shareholders, it's just nowhere near as exciting as the other fans. Ultimately, and it's quite interesting. I looked at the recent quarterly results, and Netflix this year has a similar capex expectation to Facebook, but Facebook makes four times the revenue. So you know that kind of tells a story in and of itself. And I've seen quite a lot of of, of rhetoric on Twitter and and in general among commentators that Facebook's a bit of a dark horse among the fans at the moment, and actually. You know, despite a whole lot of people believing, oh, Facebook's had its time, it's not relevant to a younger audience, no one uses Facebook anymore. Well, daily active users up 8% year on year in this latest result, 1.88 billion daily active users. Now, 1.88 billion is not no one. I think we can all <laughs> safely agree on that. And a stock with an operating margin of 43%. I mean, there's no denying the fact that Facebook's a pretty serious business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the point that a lot of people miss with Facebook is that it's not just Facebook. You know, yes, you're right. Not many people are probably using Facebook. But remember, Facebook owns an ecosystem. So Facebook owns Instagram. Uh, Facebook owns WhatsApp. And there's a, a big furore around around people getting off WhatsApp uh, a couple of months ago because they're going to share data. And I mean, there's that old saying. They say, if, if, if something's free and you don't realize like the product, it's because you're the product. And that's really what the business of Facebook and the business of Google, they're big data aggregators. And the fact of the matter is that's the reality of the world we live in. I mean, even if you go back to some of those, you know, uh, beach stocks we are talking about, they aggregating your, 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 your details. They're aggregating your information. If you go onto booking.com, for example, they, they track your usage. They see how many times have you come back? How serious are you about actually booking this holiday? And your pricing there's these subtle adjustments that kick through in the background in terms of the types of pricing they can offer you. And that just allows them to, again, make you the product. So going back to Facebook, like I say, they own an entire ecosystem. And it's not just the messaging. They're getting a lot smarter around what they're dropping into that space. For me, the risk on something like a Facebook is that if antitrust regulators in the U.S. really hone in on that, they're going to start saying, you're too big, you're too powerful, you're driving the discourse on you know, who you can censure, who you can't censure. This becomes a very powerful political engine. And that, for me, in the longer term, becomes a risk to some of these mega fangs, if you want to call it that. That's Facebook and Google and so forth. But as a business, as a standalone basis, if you look at, going back to your point, Netflix versus Facebook, it's four times the revenue, but it's also four times the market cap. So really, you've got to just drill it down and say, how much does this business need to put in to sustain itself? And that's really the point you're trying to drive home. I think... Netflix, if we go back to Netflix versus a Disney, for example, Disney is one of the beach stocks because they've got the theme parks and those thankfully are starting to open up again. But most of Disney's valuation in the last year, as we've discussed on a previous show, is based on the streaming service. Now, they've got that big fat content library that they can just continue to milk. Uh, but at the same time, they're generating some brand loyalty around new ideas, new characters. And that's what's missing for me, for example, in Netflix is that it's kind of a show but there's no emotional attachment to that show. And so I'm questioning that even though they're throwing billions and billions into that content, it's not content that emotionally attaches to the user, which means that its longevity or its half-life, its decay is so much faster. And that makes it a lower quality place, certainly in the fang space. Yeah, and again, it's you've got to be careful when you're investing that you're not just buying good consumer experiences. I suppose it's a bit of a joke now compared to my Vodacom experience and comments at the start, but... I mean, we watch Netflix all the time at home. Doesn't mean I want to invest in it. You know, we use Zoom all the time. I'm very glad I didn't buy it in October. <laughs> so it's important to remember that you know any stock, you still need to consider the valuation on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head. That's, that's a critical point that I want to drive home as well, is that 
I, I hold a lot of these stocks. I mean, even Netflix. We've discussed it. I have a preference for Disney over a Netflix. Doesn't mean I don't own Netflix. I know you gave me some abuse on Twitter about that. It's, it's about what is the price you pay for a specific stock. And I think that's really, I mean, we've had all of these tech stocks really release results over the course of the last week or two. And most of them beat. So if you look at the, the results, I, I think if you look in aggregate, the, the total S&P, something like 84% of the companies that have reported so far have actually beat earnings expectations and around 74% of the beat on revenue. But despite that beat, we had a lot of action in the after hours trades on the day that re results were released, you know, big pushes in a lot of these stocks. And they've come off over the last week and they've come off more than the general market. So that tells me it's not a generalized risk off, but that there's so much of expectation priced into the growth rates of these stocks. There's so much froth priced into these stocks that sometimes you might be buying a great business. You know, a lot of these are great businesses, but what price do you pay for that great business? I mean, even though Netflix is down quite a bit from where it was, you know, certainly about a month or so ago, you know, I'm still not unhappy because I, I managed to buy into the stock a lot lower down. So I'm happy with the price I've paid for the valuation, but bearing in mind that it's always the marginal investor who's setting the price today. Yeah, exactly. That entry price is, is everything. I, mean, well, I think if we talk about another theme that's very clear in the fans, and that's cloud computing. So that's applicable to Amazon with AWS, Amazon Web Services. Google has got a cloud business as well, and so does Microsoft, of course. And the growth rates were really interesting, so it doesn't get much tighter than this. Google, 34% up, Microsoft, 33% up, and Amazon, 32% up. Uh, which is, you know, they're all growing at, at around about that sort of level. Amazon Web Services is still the market leader. Um, and there's another number there around the 30s. From what I've researched there, their market share of cloud is around 30%. All still growing really strongly. It's a high margin business. I mean, in Amazon, it's quite amazing, actually. Their shopping, or, or rather the rest of Amazon, operates at a margin of 4.9%. I mean, that's that's like a good retailer is kind of running at those levels, like a really good retailer. Yet, their Amazon Web Services business, the margin is 31%. So, you know, it's it's so important to their world. Amazon's managed to build this incredible ecosystem, you know, a similar concept to Facebook, where people, instead of going on to see what their friends are up to, on Amazon, you're going on to buy something. And then they've got you there. I mean, Amazon Prime, 175 million Prime members have streamed video. And that's pretty big compared to Netflix, which is, that's all Netflix does. And they've got 207 million subscribers. So there's like a Netflix hiding inside Amazon. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite that, remarkable. That, that, you know, you were saying you think face, Facebook's the dark horse. Maybe Amazon's the dark horse. I mean, just look at what's happening inside Amazon as a business. I, I think, for example, the AWS, the, the web services business, as you've correctly identified, is an engine for growth. You know, it's, it's, it's great margins. It's really pumping. But if you look at Amazon, Amazon's taking this much longer term view on the world. Um, I mean, effectively, they've provided the platform. Uh, they've now sucked a whole bunch of resellers into their ecosystem. But bear in mind that Amazon started investing in a whole bunch of downstream. It's vertical integration. So they've invested in logistics. You know, they, they, were, they were a little while ago, they bought an electric vehicle company in order to try and roll out their, 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 their delivery vehicles. And I think that's early days. I think if you look at what they're doing in terms of buying up warehousing, I mean, in North America, Specifically in Canada, you know, real estate's super hot. And one of the key drivers here is that Amazon has also been buying up a significant portion of warehousing real estate themselves. Uh, and I mean, the, the, the pace of growth just in that sub-segment, if you just drill down, is massive. So Amazon's starting to own its entire value chain. And as it does that, it allows it to just unlock all this incremental value into kind of the headline level. So I mean, the stock has looked 
expensive on traditional valuation metrics for the longest time. You know, I, I think I said it on a previous show as well, is last year I looked at Amazon, I thought, geez, this thing's really looking quite overdone, you know, and then I kind of shorted the stock. It cost me a fair amount of money. I redid my numbers, relooked at my thesis, cut the short, and thankfully, you know, that was now, what, like a thousand bucks ago. So <laughs> on, an, on an Amazon share. So I think there are these dark horses. The nice thing I like in this fang space, I want to hear if you agree or not, is that most of them are not just companies that are exhibiting massive growth rates. I mean, that's that's exciting. So they're growth stocks. We know that. But they're also companies whose balance sheets are in rude health. I mean, they, they're sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars worth of cash just ready to deploy. I mean, Apple, I think, sits on over 120 billion. I think Amazon's probably a, a similar kind of number, you know. They're sitting on these massive hordes of cash that makes them very nimble. They can throw that into R&D. They can throw that into acquisitions. They can throw that, like Amazon, into real estate, for example. And it just allows them to become these, these behemoths. And like I say, that's the reason why my the risk I see from a, a macro perspective is rather them being viewed as monopolists uh, rather than anything else. But for as long as that doesn't happen, these are businesses that generate significant cash flow they are profitable, uh, and they have healthy balance sheets. Yeah, and speaking about antitrust, the next one we have to talk about is Apple because the antitrust case of uh, of the year is currently playing out in courts, and that's Epic Games versus Apple. And it's an epic case too because Epic Games makes Fortnite, and basically Apple shut them out of the iStore because Epic dared to try and charge users directly for extras in the game, which Apple would then not get a cut of. And so Apple said, no, thank you. That uh, is against our policies, aka we can't make money from it. So cheers and off you go, which made Epic very upset because they just lost their entire Apple user base. Uh, well, I think probably new users you needed to download the app. And now it's going to court as a really important antitrust case. And it's given indication of just how important this is for Apple, which is the world's most valuable company, market cap above $2.2 trillion, absolute monster. Their gross margin on hardware, so iPhones, Macs, the whole shebang, is 36%. The gross margin on services, which is the App Store, is 70%, which is enormous. And services is also a very large contributor to revenue overall. So the iPhone is the biggest at 54% of sales, but the services business is the next largest contributor at 23%. So it is absolutely critical to Apple as a business. goes back to the whole ecosystem point. They need to sell you the hardware, but then they also very definitely need to lock you into the iOS world and and then sell you everything that, that comes with it. And if the courts decide for any reason that the App Store is, is anti-competitive in what it does, Suddenly, developers will potentially be able to charge people directly. Apple will need to demonstrate why that payment should go through the App Store. You know, what is the benefit to users of that? And suddenly, the payments piece of the services business becomes a, a competitive environment. And that's not going to be pretty, I don't think, for Apple's bottom line. Mm-hmm. I think, again, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, is that you know, the Apple ecosystem is probably one of those those massive assets on, on, on Apple's balance sheet as, as an intangible, right? Is that they tie you into the iOS. Uh, and it's I mean, even though it's so painful, I mean, I've got iPhones, you know, we use iPhones and it's so painful sometimes to do the simplest tasks of, for example, moving your pictures onto a, a Windows-based system, as an example. But despite that, you'll stick with Apple because they've made the ability to stay in the ecosystem so easy. And the App Store works and it's quite seamless. I mean, that's if you go back to the old Steve Jobs days, it was all about that user experience. How does a phone or a device feel in your hand? How does the menu structure work? 
And I, I, I think that's what informs the entire a- Apple ecosystem right now. It's why this antitrust uh, case is so vitally important. You've hit the nail on the head. Is that if that destroys Apple's protective moat, Apple's not going to be able to charge. And I mean, the, the, the amounts they're charging developers is is savagely expensive. It's it's somewhere between fifteen to thirty percent uh, goes directly to Apple. Now that's even more aggressive, you could argue, than what Amazon does to to resellers on 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 its platform. Um, Perhaps, you know, I guess a saving grace is, is that if Apple is able to convince regulators that a portion of uh, of the revenue needs to come to Apple, but maybe not a 30% or a 15%, that might help them preserve some of the moat and it might assuage some of the smaller players. But I mean, Epic Games is a an institution of some significance. It's not $2.2 trillion, no. Uh, but yeah, let's see where that goes. I think if you look at the Apple share price, you know, I mean, I, I know, Ghost, you, you've been an investor for quite some time, right? You you like Apple. It's one of those stocks uh, that you've got to keep. And the nice thing about Apple as well is they did the, the stock split. So it means that you don't have to go the fractional ownership route necessarily in order to own it. But, you know, even if you look at that, Apple this year, over the calendar year, has been kind of lackluster. It pushed up in the early part of the year and now it's gone sideways. So, I don't know how much of that's priced into the market. That's always the trillion-dollar question. Uh, but it's definitely a risk on the horizon for Apple. It's there for Google. It's there for Facebook. It's there for Amazon. I think the fangs in total have the fangs of the regulators literally waiting to bite into their necks. Yeah, and a bunch of really full valuations to go with it, which is why this stuff has gone sideways and why a lot of people have been buying value stocks this year and doing doing very well out of them we're almost out of time over there's really there's two more fans well there's one more fan we haven't talked about and then there's one other company that is worth touching on so the other fan we haven't talked about is google one of the more interesting stories there just briefly is is youtube generated ad revenue of six billion dollars this quarter google bought that business in 2006 for 1.65 billion dollars which means that youtube generates in revenue in 25 days what it originally cost in 2006. Sure, we're not adjusting for time value of money and all the other dorky things, but I mean, it definitely, it tells a story in and of itself. And then the one that that still belongs, for my mind, in fan, but doesn't have a letter for it, is Microsoft. And as much as everyone thinks it's this big, boring, old school thing that is now the subject of a high profile divorce, it is actually still a fast growing business at very high margins, doing really innovative stuff. My favorite quote is always that, there was only one company that was in the top 10 most valuable companies in the world at the end of 2008, which was sort of the end of the commodity cycle and, and big oil and all of that. And it's still a top 10 company and that is Microsoft. So you can't ignore, you can't ignore that kind of resilience. So Mo, my question to you to finish this off, if you had to choose one fan to buy and put in the drawer for your kids, which one would it be? Jeepers, that's, that's a big question. Tough question. <laughs> I mean, Based on where prices are right now, you know, I, I, I like Microsoft. I've liked Microsoft for a long time, and I think it's it's come off. So some of that froth is is, is, is is kind of out of the ecosystem. They're probably less at risk than some of the other players from a, a regulatory perspective. They've gone down this. I mean, Microsoft was the big antitrust lawsuits of the early 90s. So I think they've gone through that. Uh, as an ecosystem, you know, Microsoft hasn't been as good as, as, as Apple. And they've got some interesting and very cool devices that have come out. I mean, I use a Microsoft Surface. I think you do too as well, Ghost. I love it. I was waiting for them to launch a phone because if they can get a nice seamless phone going, that might be enough to entice me away from Apple. So I think there's, there's certainly some sort of... I like Microsoft. I think the stock's traded down a little bit from where it was. And it's 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 a nice banker. It goes into the, the boring portfolio, if you want to call it that. Um, the other would be Google. I mean, I think Google is a machine. They own... 
a lot of eyeball space. Uh, so if I could pick two, I guess Google would be the other one, simply because I don't think it's necessarily, you know, expensive relative to the kind of money that spins out of all of the different angles of Google. It also might be a little less vulnerable to the whole antitrust stuff relative to an Amazon or a Facebook. Uh, but the caveat to that is that it's the one stock that this year in the fangs hasn't gone sideways. It's actually ratcheted up quite a bit this year. And so I might just wait for a better entry point on, on Google. Uh, what about you, Ghost? What, what would be your one stock in the fangs uh, that you would go for? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think they would... Out of the out of the fans, so excluding Microsoft, I'm going to strictly apply the acronym. I think Facebook, just for the sheer amount of data they've got, I know there's a big antitrust risk there, but I think what they can do going forward with marketplace and potentially digital currencies and creating an entire world for themselves that isn't too different to Amazon is really exciting. And then even Amazon itself, I think, is just an amazing story. Um, I definitely wouldn't choose Netflix, as we know. <laughs> I think Apple's sitting on a lot of regulatory risk. I really think the antitrust story there could could become quite ugly quite quickly. And then, yeah, Google. I mean, I own all the fans except Netflix. I hold all of them. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's my that's that's my position. And 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 before we wrap up, I mean, as I hopefully go into summer sometime soon, in the beach stocks, uh, are you buying that narrative? Do you think, you know, the world's got to bounce back at some point in time? And and uh, you know, where where would you go? I'm gonna take one here before I even let you answer that, and I'm I'm gonna say it's Disney because I just love Disney, and because Disney for me is a playoff either going onto the beach and going to the theme parks, but also for those geographies where the world doesn't bounce back as fast. You know, Disney's the defensive play in that space for me. Yeah, so I also hold Disney. I mean, you know, I love that thing. Uh, I also hold TripAdvisor, something that I bought, as I mentioned, middle of last year. I did buy some of the hotel groups like Marriott as well. Um, I also bought one or two of the cruise liners. I, I actually almost worked down through the list without knowing that beach is a thing and, and kind of bought a lot of these recovery stocks when they were horribly depressed. I also bought American Airlines because I'm stupid. And uh, and I thought that maybe airlines would have a place in this world, but that I could have been worse. I could have bought Comair and I would have literally just been you know, diluted to zero. But uh, I suppose if I had to pick one, sure. I mean, Airbnb long-term is really interesting, right? And now that it's come off that IPO price, I don't actually hold Airbnb. Maybe that's something I must go and have a look at. Oh, that's definitely so, an, an interesting one. And if you really want an airline, there's always a Southwest Airlines here because the ticker is love. So show us the love. If you love magic markets, remember to go out there. Give us a great rating. I think we're out of time, Ghost. But you, the listener, are what makes this show great. So remember, spread the news. And it's been great chatting, Ghost. And let's do this again next week, same time, same place. Thanks, Mo. And may our fortunes be better than the average airline. Thank you for another episode of Magic Markets and we look forward to doing this again next week. Cheers.